Welcome to episode 165 of the Smash Accept Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Royer. You can find me on Twitter at DynastyDadFF. Fourth of July is over, but the fireworks are still going. I believe it's his seventh time on the show. My absolute favorite guy to chop it up with, especially when you're talking strategy. My man, Dynasty Zoltan, how you doing? Good, man. Great to be back as always. How's your fourth of July? I was fantastic, man. Throwing football with the kids in the pool. I am burnt out. Like they, they nice. got me for energy wise. And you know, my, my middle child, Matthew, he was like, dad, Scott fishbowl this weekend. I can come with you. Right. So I'm like super excited to, to share that, you know, experience with my son going to be going down there to Philly and, and doing that. I mean, I know you have yours coming up there. There's just so much right excitement right now around football. Oh yeah. Nothing better than a live draft also. And uh, we're getting close to real football being back. So can't wait for it. I know it just keeps inching closer and closer, you know, and I, we got some great guests coming on a lot of guys from football guys, Dave Kluge is going to be on Hutchinson Brown, but one time, one thing that you and I do, and we, we talk a lot is we really get into strategy. You know, we start talking about more than just the players and individuals, but we're, we're trying to get ourselves into how do we do this and why do we do these certain things? So the first thing we want to talk about, you and I have been doing the year one punts, you know, or pr- productive struggles, whatever you want to call it. How has that been working out for you? Because one thing I've noticed, you know, you and I have really made it popular over the last year and some change. Yeah. What is what have you been noticing as far as the trend and how have those teams been been panning out for you? Because that's the thing everybody's asking, right? You see those sexy picks, you see everything that's on there. But talk to me a little bit. You have some data of, of how it's worked for you over the years. Yeah, absolutely. So the year one punts have been you know, very successful overall. And I think what's important to see is essentially how often your team is winning and how quickly your team is winning. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're looking at this from a return on investment perspective, it's not only when you, it's not only how many titles you win in a certain number of years, but how quickly you can transition to winning those titles. And that's something that um, can take a little bit of time to actually figure out how successful your portfolio is being there. Uh, so I'm I'm actually just pulling up this tweet. Sorry, one second. But one thing that I have noticed this season is that it is getting slightly more difficult to do the one-year punt, which is something I definitely want to get into as well, because especially when talking about trading for future firsts, it's become very difficult to do that. So I know you've been in a few startups recently. How, how have those been for you? Have you been able it's, to acquire future firsts? It's super difficult. Now, again, the guys that are in the Smash Accept Leagues, they listen to the podcast. So it's like a matter of doing these startups with guys that are li- literally listening to the blueprint and trying that out themselves. I have not witnessed in the last couple of – in the last three I've been, I haven't witnessed anybody leaving with more than three 24 firsts. You know? yeah. In 2023, there were guys leaving with five, six, seven, you know, at – on on the regular right now i'm seeing everybody's kind of holding on to them and and that's why you know we're going to talk about it in a little bit where I, I i've kind of come up with a different kind of strategy here where i think you know kind of consolidates and gives you that mitigates risk at the same way as it insulates but it's not quite a one-year punt yeah absolutely so going back to the one-year punt and again i'm i'm not when i talk about my portfolio i probably do the one-year punt on about 80 percent of the teams maybe a little mm-hmm. bit more than that um 
So of my portfolio, my year one teams have a negative 58% ROI. My year two teams have a 24% ROI. So after year two, I'm still, I still have lost a good amount of money. My year three teams have 124% ROI and my year four teams have a 264% ROI. And I've won 22 out of 24 leagues I've been in for four or more years, which is basically how I want to look at things and why I tell people, listen, this is a year or two of pain. And especially if you are joining, let's say three leagues every year, you can afford to have three leagues be in some pain the next three leagues that you started the year before kind of getting to a little bit even money. And then you just start absolutely smashing teams because the pure value that you build up, we've talked about before, it's harder and harder to win a dynasty league the farther you get in because certain teams are able to compound all of these advantages and these small trade-ups and positional or value uh, positive expected value trades in order to really build a powerhouse team. And you want to be either the first or second seed in all of these leagues in order to actually have a good chance of winning. If you're the first or second seed, you have about a 32% chance of winning. If you're the fifth or sixth seed, you have about an 8% chance of winning. So all of this is focused on building up the value for year one or two, making trades, using the fact that you are not caring about the present to make trades that are going to help your future. And there's different ways to do that. And the past has been trading for future firsts. And I still think that's an effective method but a lot of people are getting smarter about that. So we can talk about some other ways to do that. And I know both of us in, in our startups have been acquiring, you know, maybe one or two extra firsts, but really focusing on some other strategies as well to build up the long-term value. Yeah. And we always talk about being top three and bottom three. And ultimately we're trying to find a draft strategy that's going to put us in one of those spots, right? Like there's nothing worse for me when I, I do a draft and I feel, you know what, I'm, I'm in the middle. I don't ever want to be in the middle. You know, I want to be in a spot where I'm either at the bottom and I have tons of draft capital or I'm at the top and I'm ready to contend, you know, and I have I have all the pieces here. So the the strategy that I want to talk about, and I know you and I have both done this in the past, and this is one that I'm doing in Smash Except 11 right now. And the interesting thing is multiple guys are like, dude, I've never seen this before. What are you doing? You yeah. know, so what I'm doing is I'm consolidating my picks. Every time I'm on the board, I'm saying, hey, let me move back here and move up somewhere else. You know, I want to put myself in a position where I looked, you know, in 2022, the two drafts that I did, you know, uh, in the same time period as last year. So I'm looking at what I have and I, I pulled up the draft and I said, okay, where are we really starting to fall off the cliff a little bit? Where is the value starting to drop? Where are this area where, you know, from rounds 11 to 14, there were only three guys that hit as top 24 players. You know, it was wow. Jer Jared Goff was in that area. Um, you know, some guys that were just anomalies here and there. Nothing special. And, and that's that area where we talk about it when we do our rookie drafts, right? We, we When we have third-round rookie picks, what's the hit rate? You know, and if I'm looking at across the board when I was looking at rounds 11 to 14, three guys hit. That's three out of 24. You know, that puts you in an area where you're at about 15% hit rate. I want to push myself into that area where I'm looking in round seven, eight, and I move my assets out. So I'm kind of mitigating my risk and moving back patiently because you and I both have done this. The key to a one-year punt is the patience, right? It's a matter of just being able to move back, accumulate value. In this particular strategy, you know, I have consolidated to this point. We are going into round eight, and by the end of round eight, I will have 13 players on my team, you know, and that's an area where – we talk about how much value you can accumulate, right? Like these guys in rounds 10 through 14, the hit rate is low, the value, you know, you're going to have a harder time moving as opposed to 
right now, you know, in round six, I just took George Kittle. So he's a movable asset. I took guys that I think are going to insulate in value and move up. So I know you've done that in the past. You often talk about you want to have 13 picks in the in the top yep. 10 rounds. I have 15 now and I have 13 in the top eight. And I'm excited, man, because I'm looking at the board and I'm like, right now I have a starting roster in round eight and everybody else has six or seven players because they've been moving around and being aggressive. And I think the one thing Zoltan, you and I both capitalize on in the draft is being patient. You know, Adam Armour, great guy. You know, he put out his uh, smash financial, put it up there on the Patreon about time versus money. And so many people in the drafts, they just see the here and now, like they, I want to move up and get this guy. I want to move up and get that guy. I want to move up. And you and I just sit back and try to accumulate that value. Yeah, exactly. And there's a few advantages that you get for doing that. So you you made a lot of good points. One that I want to start on is the fact that there aren't really a lot of great players after rounds, you know, 10 or 11. So you Mm -hmm. looked at that in terms of 2022 production, which is, of course, important. Let's look at that in terms of dynasty value. So right now, out of running backs taken after RB24 last year, only two of them, Tony Pollard and Ramondre Stevenson, are currently in the top 15. Yeah. Only one wide receiver taken after the top 30 last year is in the top 20 wide receivers, right? 24 wide receivers right now. And that's Christian Watson. So not only are you not getting 2022 production, but you're not getting any value increase because every year you got a certain number of rookies coming in and they're going to automatically push the vets down. So unless you have guys like Watson, Pollard, Ramondre, who are really going to have that breakout year, you're unlikely to find someone who's going to pick up a ton of value after round, let's say, eight historically. Mm -hmm. And we're going to go through, I'm sure, some of our favorite parts of the draft and where we're specifically targeting. But there's a reasoning, there's a reason that we're targeting essentially these rounds like three through eight as really the sweet spot. Because after there, it's almost impossible to find someone who's going to who really has a high upside for the future. Yeah. And the, the you're you're absolutely right. The two rounds that I targeted the most or three rounds were the the third, like late second, early third, the fifth and the eighth. The fifth yeah. is just chalked full of wide receivers that are going to gain in value. The eighth is just filled with value that guys just keep slipping that are going to be instant production. So while we do this, the one other thing that I really want to, you know, hammer home is we're not just doing this blindly. Like yeah. people are asking me, where did you pick these numbers out? You know, and, and you talked about it from the dynasty value. I talked about it from their production and both of them are present a situation where it's not a win situation. You're not trying to put yourself into getting multiple picks in that area. So let's start talking about some of these trades. Yeah. And, you know, last time I had you on the podcast, we were talking about Brees Hall, right? I mean, big time. He's our, our number one running back by him and Jameer Gibbs are yeah. going to ball out. And you said, Hey, I wonder if you can get a first for, on difference first and hall for Bijan. So I'm at the 111. And let me preface with this type of draft strategy works perfect from that late first. Yeah. I'm not advocating, you know, if you move out of that top four, you got to get build yourself up. But if you get in that 111 area, everyone keeps coming. They're like, Dad, that, do I stretch for Deshaun Watson here? I mean, do I take a running back like Bijan Robinson in the first? You know, and I have the 111 and 202, and I would have taken Bijan and Deshaun Watson. And and, well, and just for just to say for those people who haven't done as many drafts, it's the 111 because the top 10 is pretty chalk. I'd say in 99% of drafts, you're going to get the top eight quarterbacks, Jefferson and Chase. Absolutely. Almost every single time. So I got to this point 
And I said, all right, you know, we talked about Brees Hall. So I'm at the 111. Let's let's move back. Let's start this whole process. Let's see what happens. So yeah. the guy at 206 offers me 206 is 24 first in the 1307 for Bijan in the 111. The difference between or the I'm sorry, the 1111. So the 1111 and the 1307 minimal distance. You know, those are those are guys maybe worth somewhere in the mid to late second. And that's a giant tier. So we move back, essentially getting, you know, the 206 and the 24 first for Bijan, you know, to move up seven spots. I'm all for that. So at this point, yeah. you know, I haven't made the decision that I'm going to try this consolidation strategy. I'm like, oh, you're one punt. Let's do it. Right. Yeah. I move off Bijan and I get to that 206 range, which you and I have agreed in the past. That second round is pretty fluid, right? Like from 202 to 210 is almost the same player, like yeah. value wise. Yeah. It's very similar in there. So I make that first move. I'm pretty excited about that. Then we get to get to the uh, 202, and a guy comes up to me and he goes, "All right, I really want Watson here. Let, let's make a play." And I was like, "All right, let's do it." You know, like yeah. I already started this thing, so I give up the 202, which is Deshaun Watson, and the 206 at this point, which he takes Chris Olave. So I give up the 202 and the 206 for the 209, the 304, and the 502. Just a matter of being patience right now. So then I at 209 get Brees Hall, 304 get Kyler Murray, who again, I just can't fathom why he keeps falling this far like yeah it, it's insane and then i get the 502 on top so now we look at it this trade now has gone from and i know you and i talk about cascading trades a lot we go from Bijan and watson as my beginning which is great you know i get an rb1 i get a qb1 to now it's breeze hall an rb1 my number two overall kyler murray a qb1 a 24 first and the 502 and then I gave him the 1202. So I'm moving up seven rounds. Yeah. I'm getting a guy who's really close in value in my estimation. And then I'm just going to be patient with Kyler Murray. So that's like a cascading trade to move myself back and start this entire process. And you and I have really said, Brees Hall and Kyler Murray are two guys that just are only going to ascend in value. I mean, at this time next year, would you be shocked if Kyler Murray's in the same tier as Deshaun Watson and, and Hall's in the same tier no. as B. John Robinson? No, I mean, they're basically already there for me. Not, I Agreed. mean, I have Kyler above Watson and Hall, you know, just a little bit off Bijan Robinson. I, I think the thing to me is that, like, it's one thing to look at these trades after the fact when you've selected players and a guy like Kyler and Hall mm -hmm. fell, yes, which, which is great. But what you're doing is uh, other people are saying, okay, I need Deshaun Watson. I need Chris Olave. Yes. Well, you're saying, okay, whether it was Kyler who fell to the 304 or Amon Ross St. Brown or whoever, or Dak Prescott or Bryce Young, it doesn't well, and matter. And that was, that was my thought is, yeah. okay, I'm going to get Jameer Gibbs or Dak Prescott, right? right. That, that was where I was. And I was like, you know what? I feel really good yeah. if those guys, I mean, a lot of times when, when you and I look at making trades, we're not blindly saying 304. You know, we're not blindly saying 209. You're like, who's going to go in that 209 range? Who's going to yeah. go in that 304 range and have two or three guys? I mean, that's how I always look at it is if I'm moving to 209, who are the three guys ultimately that might fall in there? And at least one of them is going to. Yeah. And I actually have, uh, which is, of course, the nerdy way that I do things. I've, I actually have a formula to figure out who is going to fall and how they're going to fall. And this well, is something this. I've developed over time. So basically what this implies is depending on what pick you're at, how many players are going to go uh, that are in between the current pick and the future pick in ADP compared to how many players are going to go out of ADP. So the farthest a player in the top, let's say 30, 
is likely to fall is pick, and here's the formula, 30 plus 30 times 18% minus four. And this is a formula that I figured out. It's basic. I mean, it's a simple, simple slope formula, but I figured it out over time. It works incredibly well at trying to figure out how far someone's going. So if we're looking at pick 30, that means we got 30 plus 18% of 30 minus four. So that means that the farthest a pick is the 30th player is going to fall is pick 32. So if I want, if I have 30 players who I have in my rankings and who are in that top 30 of ADP and I need one of them, I'm not going to trade down below pick 32. But if it's pick 50, for instance, that ends up being pick 56. Cause as you go further along in a draft, it expands. So basically what I'm looking at, and you can, you can do this on a smaller level because you can just look at it and say, listen, if I'm trading from 206 to 210, are there four guys I like? Let's yeah. say there's only four guys I like. That means that the only way I don't get one of those four is if all four people are picked in the next four picks. Now that's mm-hmm. possible, and you got to look at what the downside of that is. But more than likely, there's going to be one guy taken outside of that range, especially if you're not including the top 10. So you you really just have to be not not picky. You don't have to be greedy that you want a certain player. You just have to keep on pushing off the issue. And one thing that I love is we've been talking about this consolidation idea in tandem with a potential one-year punt. It doesn't have to be, right? Like the further that you push off the decision, the better picks that you can make for your team. Because guys like Travis Kelsey and Christian McCaffrey. So in the first two rounds, let's say I take, let's say I already have Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall on my team. In no situation would it be smart for me to now take Christian McCaffrey and Travis Kelsey. However, if I've pushed off my picks and I have four third rounders and I'm seeing all of these veterans fall and my first three picks can be Kelsey, Tyreek, and CMC, now that's okay. I've been able to consolidate, get added value. I probably now have 14 picks in between rounds three and eight. And I can just take all of the veteran value that's falling and make such a competitive year one team that also has additional value. And you can splash in some, some extra, you know, young picks to go with that. Maybe you take Traylon Burks in round six, because you've already taken Tyree kill Devontae Adams and Cooper cup, right? You can afford to make a value-based decision where you can win year one, win year two and have a quick retool in year three. So there are different ways to do it, but the further you push the back that decision, the better off you're going to be. I like what you're saying there too, because we're in a situation when you have 13 assets in the first eight to 10 rounds, you have, you have so much flexibility. It's not a matter of like in, in this Originally, I started out as a variation for the one-year punt because I started taking guys where Brees Hall and Kyler Murray have depressed value. You know, both of them are guys that I think, you know, and like I referenced with Adam, he called it like Buffett picks. These are guys that I'm buying low stocks that I know are going to increase. I mean, you know yeah. that's going to happen. But in this situation, when I got to 209, yeah, I could have taken, you know, Jonathan Taylor and then we get to, to 303 and then I'm like, okay, I'm going to get Travis Kelsey and start to build a juggernaut, you know, and I think that the more you do this, the more you play around. That was the big question in the room is everybody's like, dad, where'd you figure this out? You know, and it's not, you don't do this on your first draft, right? Like this is more of a savvy move. And that's why we're going to pass this on to you guys. You know, I think we move into that, that next pick then. And then I get into the third round. So the third round is, is fantastic. I mean, the third round is chalked with value, but at this point, I've already started the process, right? So we get the 311 and I have the 402 and I'm looking and, at Drake. And, 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 and can we talk about, sorry, just for a second, yep, why the third round is so stacked with value? Because I, I think that's what's important is because when you, 
when it, there's an important thought that other than the top eight QBs and Jefferson and Chase, every other player between, let's say, uh, I'm going to exclude Watson and Kyler just because they're such good values right now. But any other, every other player between pick 11 and pick 25 is probably more likely to go down in value than up. That's mm-hmm. just because in order to go up in value, they need to hit that Hall of Fame level receiver status, oh, yeah. or they need to hit that level that no running back or tight end is currently at. Yeah, in I mean, order to go down to get there, they have to pass CD Lamb and AJ Brown. That, that's exactly. literally what they exactly. have to do. And yeah. the only guys that really, I mean, you know, Garrett Wilson, Amon Ross, St. Brown, Waddle, there aren't many guys, you know, uh, Gibbs and Hall. And that's that's it for me is that yeah. those are the guys other than Kyler Murray that are have the skilled player position to move up into that area. And everyone likes to be optimistic, but there are dozens of reasons why they could go down in value. Like mm-hmm. we love Brees Hall. What if they take a running back in round two next year? Then his value mm-hmm. will go down no matter what. What if he's not back from injury at full strength? What if Aaron Rodgers leaves next year and he's in another bad offense with Zach Wilson? What if he gets mm-hmm. injured? What if he gets suspended? There are so many ways for his value to go down and only one way for his value to go up. And that's if he puts up 1500 yards. So mm-hmm. it's just smarter to move back from round two to round three, take a guy like Devonta Smith, take a guy like T Higgins, like Chris Alave, if he falls mm-hmm. like Drake London, who I know we're going to get to who mm-hmm. actually have room to go up into round two and their flat value floor is much closer to their current value. So it's just, you get players. And to me, it's really around pick, you know, 40, where you don't have this anymore, where you have a pretty high value floor and you have an absolutely gigantic value ceiling. And to me, the last players that fall into that are basically like JSN, London and Mark Andrews. Mm-hmm. Yeah, abs- I'm totally with you. And it's the third round, ultimately Rounds three through six are where those guys are going to really make make the most value moving up, right? Because yeah. you can see a situation where we're going to talk about Christian Watson in the fifth round where he ascends in value. You can see a situation where, you know, a guy like, you know, Javante Williams moves up or Jerry Judy or some of these other guys. Other ones, you know, that's where you really start to get value too because people start to figure out by the third round what their direction is going to be. You know, rounds one and two, almost every single player there is young, and talented you know i think once you get to rounds three through five it's a matter of like do i want to win now do i want to move into this situation and at this point i'm i'm like okay i'm not i'm not here to win now it's not a super big deal i get to the 311 i'm debating i was like okay i i could take drake london here but he's historically right now been falling in that 402 to 404 range i'm at 404 i'm gonna play around with this to see if i can do it so i trade the 311 and the 1307 for the 407 and 903 and then Drake London falls to the 402. So now we get yeah. to an area where I've moved back from, you know, 311 to 407. And then I move from 1307 to 903. And the gap between 311 and 407 in comparison to 1307 and 903 is considerably higher. But I know when I was going through the process and sometimes you were like, you got to look at the tiers, right? You're not blindly doing this. If I move yeah. from 311 to 407, I'm looking at this particular situation. It's like T Higgins to DK Metcalf. Not the huge, absolute, you know, massive movement there. But for me, I'm just trying to move. As opposed to the ninth round, you're looking at James Cook compared to Chase Brown. That's that's a pretty considerable move where James Cook could hit in that ninth. Chase Brown, that's a lot more of a stretch. You know, there's a lot more going on there or Jacoby Meyer in that area. 
And it it seems like this year the depth is so much worse than in previous years. And I know these things change, especially as there's injuries. Because if you think about it, when a player gets injured, that lifts like the overall value of the player pool, if you think Mm -hmm. about it. Because let's say, you know, last year when Brees Hall got injured, he's still valuable. And now Zonovan Knight and Michael Carter are valuable. So it brings two new players in the picture. Maybe the total value is the same, but the number of valuable players changes. So it gets deeper. But for now, we have absolutely zero depth because you mentioned Chase Brown. He's going off the board in the 13th round. We see Luke Musgrave, Tyler Algier, Hendon Hooker, right? These rookies were third round picks in rookie drafts. So you only get players worth at least a second in the set in the twelfth round or higher, and even then, it drops off so quickly. Right from round ten, where you have Rashad Bateman and Sam Laporta and Desmond Ritter, to round thirteen, where it's Chase Brown. That is such a stark and quick drop off that you want to get as many picks as you can. I mean, we talk about the top eight rounds, top seven rounds. I agree, that's what you want to go for, but I don't need any picks between rounds. let's say 13 and 18 that those don't mean anything to me so if i have to combine those pay up to get picks in the top 10 rounds i'm absolutely going to be doing that yeah and i have i have a 14th rounder and then nothing again till the 18th because i'm looking at aside from i love sky moore's value in the 13th and those guys that we talked about last time and if you guys didn't catch the the podcast where we were talking about you know drafting running backs in this area you know when i get to that 18th round there's not a huge difference for me for taking you know Kenneth Gainwell or Jerome Ford, as opposed to taking, you know, Jalen Warren and Deuce Vaughn three rounds earlier. You know, you're just stacking handcuffs. You just said those names. I didn't even know which two were going before the other. Like, it's like three rounds difference. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It just doesn't, it just doesn't matter at all. And and back to what you were saying about the tiers of dropping from the third to the fourth. I, I think especially if you can stay in the top six or seven picks of the fourth round, I completely agree with that. Once you get to the four or five turn, I think there is another drop that occurs. Mm-hmm. But if you're comparing the 307 Saquon Barkley to the 408 Josh Jacobs, I actually now have Josh Jacobs higher in my rankings. Last season, he put up more mm-hmm. points than Saquon Barkley ever has. Uh, he's a year younger. He doesn't have injury issues. If you want to compare T. Higgins to DK Metcalf, I can make arguments in either direction on that. It it would not surprise me if by October, DK Metcalf is ahead ahead of T. Higgins. So these are the moves that you make where someone really wants Saquon Barkley and you're basically getting, okay, I'll take Josh Jacobs, who let's say is a similar player. I'll add a ninth round pick that can get me, you know, Brock Purdy and get me that QB3. Or it'll get me like Devon Atchain and a shot at some future uh, value increase or Aaron Jones. And it'll give me a lot of production now. And I'm giving up a 13th rounder. That's chase Brown. Right. So that that's the trade-off that you're making. Love it. So we move into the fourth round. Then now we start to, when you really look at the fourth round, I mean, the fourth round right now is chalked full of veterans, right? So mm-hmm. depending on what your move here is, you know, you look at the fourth round and you see Cooper cup, you see Austin Eckler, Josh Jacobs, uh, Devonte Adams, depending on what your, your draft is, maybe Nick Chubb goes into that area, you know, Devonte Adams goes in there sometimes. These are guys that, you know, potentially you're only taking if you're win now, right? Like these are guys that you're moving into that area. So for me, you know, I come up to the 407 and at Cooper Cup's there. I love Cooper Cup, right? But in this particular situation, I'm like, I can move back. You know, I, I like some guys in that fifth round. And so this particular trade, I traded Cooper Cup at the 407, the 802 and the 911 to move back to the 502 
So move from 502, 611, and 902. So I move up nine spots in the ninth. I move up a round and a half from the eighth to the sixth. And I move back to 502. And then I take Christian Watson. You know, and they're like, if you look at Christian Watson, you know, I, our boy Alex Caruso put this out today. Chris Olave and Watson each put up 2.25 yards per route run, 25% target share. You know, the other five players to do that all finished top seven in year two. I mean, Christian Watson is a guy that you've really turned me on to where I debated between, you know, in this particular draft, a guy took Judy ahead of me because, you know, I love Judy. Yeah. But Watson fell to 502. And this is a situation where it's win, win, win. Right. I get Christian Watson, who will be worth more than Cooper Cup. I have no no doubt in my mind, especially yep. for my build. Move up in this from the eighth to the sixth, move up in the ninth. And this is an area where I've already cascaded this from the original T. Higgins deal. So talk to him a little bit about Christian Watson because when I drafted him, the room went silent and they're like, that's not a dad pick. You know, like this isn't the guy that you should be going for. And then I, I messaged a bunch of other guys and they're like, Oh, I hate that pick. Why is Christian Watson not valued like a guy who just finished as the, you know, over the last eight weeks as the wide receiver eight. Like, why is he down in comparison? I know Aaron Rodgers is gone and Jordan Love's there, but people are starting to buy in on Jordan Love, but they're not moving the same way with Christian Watson. Yeah, I don't I don't really get it. And I just talked about Christian Watson uh, on a podcast I put out like two weeks ago with Daniel Harms on some breakout wide receiver candidates. I just don't really understand it because Christian Watson did basically all that you could have wanted to see from him. And there was kind of mixed opinions on him from the community. He was going, you know, as a late first last year in rookie Mm -hmm. drafts, going in the seventh round of startups. And he was just unbelievable last year. And people are chair are nitpicking his game saying, you know, he's not the most refined receiver. He's not a great route runner. People look at that as, um, as an issue, I look at that as potential. That's upside to me because Christian Watson right. was able to be a top 12 wide receiver in the second half of the season. He was able to be one of only two receivers ranked in the top two in QB rating when targeted, top two in contested catch rate, fourth in yak per reception, ninth in ADOT, 11th in yards per route run. He was just a top 12 wide receiver in most metrics last season, especially if you cut it to the second half. I'm not worried about Aaron Rodgers leaving because – Rodgers was, you know, he's he's obviously a very good player, but he was not the old Aaron Rodgers last year. Mm-hmm. He was the old Aaron Rodgers last year. So right. I don't think it it might be a downgrade, but I think Christian Watson, even if it is a downgrade, that might be okay because he's such a ridiculous deep threat. I see his floor is so high because he's going to have these big plays. He's going to have these big games. And his ceiling is absolutely tremendous. I I really think he could be the highest ranked of any of these 2022 drafted wide receivers after this year. And that's including Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. I don't think it's likely, but it can happen. And he is so, so, so much cheaper than those guys are. It's and like three rounds cheaper. Well, and when you, exactly, it's, it's, it's almost a full three rounds because Garrett Wilson's yeah. creeping up to that early second. Now at this point, Olave is creeping up into that mid second. Meanwhile, like I said, London and, and Watson are guys that aren't moving at all. You know, and like that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You're drafting Christian Watson at his wide receiver 18 floor, right? Yeah. Like this is a situation where I don't see a scenario where he drops, especially I mean, I, given, I, I, given I, I the fact that there's there's four yeah. wide receivers who are going to be 30 years old. They're going to drop out of that, you know? Exactly. So very yeah, little I, I haven't projected as a top 18 wide receiver in 2023. And if he does that at age 23, he's obviously going to go up on this list. 
And you just compare, I mean, some people, sometimes people get way too caught up in the situation and all of these metrics and stuff. Just look at his production. Even if you remove the touchdowns, just look at his yards compared to any of these other players from his class. He absolutely smokes them in the second half of the year. And there are times where that's, you know, Elijah Moore and it's a bit of a myth or there are times where it's a Moan Ross St. Brown and this was the breakout we all should have been catching on to. So mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's a sure thing, but Krishna Watson is such a good bet at his price. Um, that he's a guy I'm definitely targeting in the in the fifth round as well. Um, one thing I did want to say or kind of ask you is, let's say you've committed to a young build. Let's say your first two picks are Kyler and Brees Hall, and and let's so I'm I'm looking at a draft I did actually hosted by Snoog, where I had five picks between the two six and the three twelve. So I had five picks in the later half of the second and third round, and I started that with Dak at 2-6, Brees Hall at 2-9, and Jameer Gibbs at 3-2. Now I'm up at 3-6. I can't get a good trade back. And Christian McCaffrey falls. I ended up taking him. What do you think about that decision? I like it because you're not, by taking the quarterback and two elite young running backs, you've kind of, you you didn't start out with two young elite wide receivers, right? You started out with running backs who have a shorter floor. I mean, if you took Dak Prescott, Amon Ross St. Brown, and Waddle, Actually, either way there, I'm okay with that because I think Christian McCaffrey most of the time now is still going mid-second, so he's a value there. You know, like I think you're you're playing it that way, and I'm all for it. You know, I think Christian McCaffrey is he's not a buy for me in most situations just because of the cost right now given the age, yeah. but where you're getting him, I mean, what other running back? You you know, you're not into Saquon Barkley. You have Travis, Travis Etienne goes a little bit later, Kenneth Walker. You know, like you're in this area where – you're not stretching there, you know, like there's nothing in that third round that has more value. Once Kyle Pitts is gone, once Jameer Gibbs is gone, there's nothing else in that third round that's more valuable than Christian McCaffrey. Yeah. And all those guys were gone. It's, I mean, I'm definitely going to be looking to trade him because my next few picks were JSN, Burks, Kincaid, Trey Lance. So given how the rest of my draft went, he clearly sticks out on my squad and yeah, there's only two or three teams who are probably going to be that interested in him yeah. because it's only the win now builds. So well, you, I think the key you have to is, be, go ahead. It's yeah. being, it's being fluid, right? Yeah. Like you, yeah. you made that trade and it happened, you know what I mean? And it's not a big deal. And I'm going to reference some of the trades where I, I traded and I got veterans, yeah. but they're only going to go up in value. We talk about, we want to draft players that are going to go up in value. Who's going to move up. Once we start trying to score points, it's the veterans, you know, like they are still good values. So, you know, when you get to that area, we talked about it before where you got to make a decision between Calvin Ridley and Zach Charbonnet, which one's going to go up in the next couple of, you know, couple of weeks, unless there's an injury, it's going to be Calvin Ridley, you know, and we yeah. kind of move into that area. So I love it. I want to talk a little bit about the cascading trade and then get into yours because then in, in the fifth round, um, I'm sorry, I, I jumped the gun there a little bit on my my trade there, you know, kind of like switch it up. I actually moved back again from the 502, which was Devontae Adams, and the 1002 to get the 510 and the 702. The 510, Javante Williams, another guy. We talk about players that are not where they need to be. You and I talked about it a couple of weeks ago about running backs that are going to ascend in value. If he is healthy all season, we're again drafting him actually below his floor. We're drafting yeah. him in a spot where if he's ready week one, he moves up a full round. If he has a good two or three good games early on in the season, he's almost a third round pick. Like I can easily see a scenario where Javante Williams ascends quickly. 
he, he was he was going off as an early second rounder last year. His ADP in my offseason drafts last year, and I didn't draft any of him because I already owned so much of him, was the 204. So you got to mm. remember, he was that highly regarded of a player, and I agree, he, he could get back to that 2-3 turn pretty easily. Yeah, I got all excited trying to say it was Cooper Cup for Christian Watson, and then I would just I just kept moving back. So, I mean, when you look yeah. at cascading trades, and for people that don't know what that is, it's when you take one trade. And I, the the biggest thing I get, Zoltan, is like people are like, I don't like this player. You know, like we have to look at it as profiles. We have to look at it as value. Sometimes you trade a player and you cascade back, you know. And in this particular area, I've made trades three, five, and six in this draft. I gave up T. Higgins, the 802, the 911, the 1002, and the 1307. Yeah. And then I get Javante Williams, a six, a seven, two nines, and a 24 third. In this particular situation, I moved up collectively like 65 picks. Yeah. If I told you by the end of the year that Javante Williams had the same value as T. Higgins, it's not a it's not out of the realm of possibility. And I think it very well could be in that same area. So being able to do these things, take these trades and cascade them back, you know, similar to the first one where it was like, Originally, it was just Brees Hall. Then you move it up, and then it all of a sudden becomes Brees Hall. And in this particular trade, it made it Brees Hall, Kyler Murray, 24 first, Christian Watson for Bijan and Christian Watson, or and Deshaun Watson, yeah. and a 13th rounder, which is going to be, like we said, like a Chase Brown type. Yeah, absolutely. And I, what you have to do is you just have to be a little humble and say, if I get two shots at players who each have a possibility of being better than the one player, that's something you got to take. So if you can move a second rounder, get a fourth and fifth rounder and turn Garrett Wilson into Drake London and Christian Watson, even if you personally think that Garrett Wilson is way better than those other two guys, you got to be a little bit objective. Look at the profiles, look at the values and just say, you know, let's just take a shot at two because it's more likely maybe one of them hits and Garrett Wilson doesn't maybe one of them hits and Garrett Wilson does, but then I have a flex option. Like there's so many ways to win that trade. If you're getting the two players. I'm, I'm glad you said that because Garrett Wilson is, is the talk right now. Right. Yeah. And I have yeah. so many people talking and they're like, Hey, I have Justin Jefferson. Would you trade him for in a particular startup, Garrett Wilson and a sixth rounder? And I'm like, Absolutely not. You know, where's that line with those two elite guys? Because everybody wants to move Garrett Wilson and C.D. Lamb close. And I just don't think Jefferson and Chase are in a tier of their own. There's very few scenarios where, I mean, what would Garrett Wilson have to put to get into that tier? 1,600 yards and 13 touchdowns? Yeah. You know, like it's going to have to be an absolute elite season for even to talk about him get into that same area. So if someone wants to move into that area, I'm basically saying, no, that ship has passed. If you're trying to trade for Garrett Wilson, that ship has passed. If you want to trade Justin Jefferson for, you know, London and three pluses, you know, some massive movements there, but how much value can you accumulate trying to move off of one of those studs for, for Garrett Wilson now? I mean, it feels like it's passed completely. Yeah, it's, it's certainly not enough. Um, and all you got to do is like look at some objective numbers. Like Garrett Wilson's odds, I believe, are about a thousand yards in Vegas, his over under. In order for him to get up to that level, he'd have to have 15, 1600, as you were saying. So it's it's just not worth it. And a guy like a guy like Garrett Wilson and really anyone that you're taking in the first few picks of the second round, again, I'm excluding Watson and Kyler from this. You're just betting on players who haven't done it before or who have some other issue, whether it's age or volume or something like that, performing at the level of basically a Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson. And that's just a huge bet to be making at that level. 
Yeah, and I keep seeing, I mean, I, I pulled up a bunch of trades off of Sleeper, and I'm seeing one here. It's like Garrett Wilson and Aaron Rodgers for Justin Jefferson and Sam Howell. Like, oh, my God. You should not be in a situation where you're trying to invest in Aaron Rodgers at that particular you know sense. And, and in the startup, it says that was picks 205, 808 for 106 and 1012. There's no way you should even consider that trade. Another one I see here is, you know, you, an area where – Guys buying Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave for Jamar Chase and Zay Flowers. That's a kind of that's the kind of mm. trade where I think you're you're in an area where you can at least start to talk about it. You know, yeah, you're that's they're getting two guys that are elite who I believe are going to be in that elite status based off of what they've done. But then you're getting rid of a guy like Zay Flowers, you know, and and I think you are at a chance where you could hit twice and both of these guys could move up a little bit in value. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's almost a consolidation trade like we're talking about where Zay Flowers mm-hmm. is going in that, what, seventh, eighth round now. So he's kind of at the end, end of that range. I There's other guys I prefer in that range, but he, he is a guy who could see a big increase in value. So he, he is within the range of, let's say, you know, a valuable pick. It's really, t- to me, there's a big teardrop after round five. And mm-hmm. then, it, it, or sorry, there's a huge teardrop after round, after the top 10. Then there's a teardrop after rounds, let's say, uh, 404. Then there's another one at the end of round five, and then another one at the end of round seven, essentially, mm-hmm. where after after round seven, you know, there are valuable veterans like Amari Cooper and Deontay Johnson. There's a few players with some upside, like I said before, like Atchain or Will Levis, guys like mm-hmm. that. But you're not getting the real valuable, you know, likely to raise in value players anymore. And that was, I, I just made a trade about a half hour before the podcast where I had picked seven eleven, and then I had a late nine and an early 10. And I traded them for three eights, 805, 806, 807. The yep. difference between 805 and seven eleven is not big. He took DeAndre Swift. I'll probably get, you know, I'll, I'll get another running back in that same area where you're looking at maybe like a Rashad White. And that's not who I'm going to pick. But, you know, those kind of values. I know a lot of these guys that are still drafted. Are, are listening to the podcast. So, you yeah. know, throw Rashad White out there. Although Talk I will say, I, I will say DeAndre Swift at the, uh, at the seven eleven is very good value. I like it, is. it at that price. It's a worthwhile swing to take. Absolutely. You know, and in my situation, I'm like, you, you, we've talked about it before. You're like, you're in this spot. Do I contend now? You're like, I have so many assets yeah. where I'm going to be able to move around. And I didn't give up my 24 first, no matter what you guys are doing, your startups right now, do your best to not trade that first like that was something for years i was just like you know what dude i'm gonna move up from the fifth round to the third round and i'm gonna do this and almost every single time it it blew up in my face you know and maybe about two years ago i decided that's not the way we're gonna start talking about on the podcast like dealing your first is just immediate gratification and sometimes there's scenarios but most of the time it fails and i know that's something that you and i both really don't want to do anymore you know it's like we want to move into those. We want to get those elite quarterbacks. Giving up the first to do it isn't the best way to do it. It's so a matter I, of just moving around. Yeah, so I've been working on a really fun study, uh, going back in all of my leagues and going through all my startups, looking at all of the 24, all of the firsts of the following year. So these are going back years in my startups. So all of next year's firsts, only those picks traded in startups and looking at where they end up being because – the idea is, okay, if I'm trading my first from next year, 
I'm definitely going to make the playoffs this year because half mm-hmm. of your league makes the playoffs. I'm giving up future value, which means that my team should be more valuable this year combined with the fact that if I'm giving up my first, there's no reason to tank. So I should definitely make the playoffs, right? So I'll ask you, what percentage of teams do you think, if I were to ask not you, if I were to ask the average person, what percentage do you think they would say would make the playoffs in this situation? 75 to 80. Okay. What do you I think, think it's it is? more like 50? Yeah, it's 54%, yeah. which is basically within a margin of error of a toss up. Yeah. So, may, I mean, there are and other you conflicting put, You set events. yourself up that the yeah. next year, then you got to dig out of a hole. Then you got to dig out of a hole. So, what this is to say is that if you give up your first, there's a good chance that it is so seven, there's an 8% chance that it lands at each spot. Just 100 mm-hmm. divided by 12 spots, that's 8%. 7% of the first I've looked at so far ended up being the 101, which basically means you could get the 101 after you're trading your future first. It, it's just not something you should do. I, I promise you, if you look back in any of your startups, five out of the six people who traded their future first would not do that trade today. And right now it's going for a sixth round pick. So which yeah. one of these guys, I always say when I trade my first, it's mid. If I traded, I'm going to call it the 105 to 108. You know, and I'm gonna I'm gonna play in that area. But I mean, which one of these guys in the sixth round are worth more than a mid first in 2024? Cousins, Kittle, Henry, Burks, Dobbins, Goff, Pickens, Swift, Goddard, Pickett, Jameson, and Brandon Ayuk. Like, which None. one of those are you buying for a mid 24 first right now? None, right? How many of those guys out of that group that I just listed are going to win you your league? None. I'm None. like like I mean, maybe Derrick Henry, but Derrick yeah, Henry, like, Dobbins go off. Yeah. But Kirk Cousins, you're buying a, a rental quarterback who's going to be a back-end QB1, but yeah. he's not going to win it for you. Kittle, we both really like him, but, I mean, it's not necessarily league-winning type potential, you know? So that's that's the tricky part about moving there is you're yeah. ultimately very little Yeah, and, and there's other trades you can do. Like in a, in a league I was just in, I traded the 304 for the 404 and a 24 first. And that's just an easy trade to make because – like we said earlier, you're getting equivalent values there, right? The 304 ended up being Stefan Diggs. The 404 ended up being Jackson Smith at Jigba. So I'm getting a similarly valued player and getting essentially a free first thrown in there. And now that team doesn't have another way to improve their roster because they don't have future picks to trade. So overall, the best strategy is still to acquire future firsts and to not trade them away. But we're just giving some different ideas if you can end and up doing that. In this particular strategy, I got to the sixth round and I said, hey, anybody want to buy? Because I had yeah. three sixths, you know, and ultimately I just kept moving them back because you got to zig when people zag. You know, you can't just sit there and be like, well, you know, Zoltan and dad say you can get a bunch of firsts. It, it's starting to become more difficult. So now yeah. we need to figure out different draft strategies that are going to be able to get you into that area, you know, and, yeah. and just keep accumulating, getting yourself to the spot where, you know, again, we got to an area where you can also move up. You know, I yeah. was in an area where I, I talked to you. I was like, man, do I take, do I take DJ Moore? Do I take, you know, um, do I take Javante Williams? You know, and, and I ultimately took Javante Williams, but I was like, you know, I think DJ Moore is another guy who's ultimately being drafted at his floor. He had the worst quarterback play of his entire career. He's wide receiver 23. You know, I think he's a scenario where he gets a little bit of a value bump here. So I just traded the 511 and the 1602 or for the 506 and the 1807 for the 511 and 1602. Not much difference. You know, I just yeah. moved myself up into that area. So, you know, I think before we start digging a little bit deeper, I mean, you look at what you're able to do in these situations. So the team that I have right now, just 
so we're on the same page. It's Kyler Murray, Brees Hall, Tony Pollard, Drake London, Christian Watson, George Kittle, Javante Williams, DJ Moore. Right now, that is a team. All I need to do is draft. I need a super flex. I have four picks in the next eight. I'm in a spot where every single one of those guys has produced in the past. Every single one of those guys, you know, is a potential breakout guy or a guy that will increase in value. How much do you look at that ahead of time? Like you and I are, are very good at trying to figure out who the next breakout guy is. We're not perfect. That's why we talk about insulating. That's why we talk about having two shots instead of one. That's why this yeah. particular process is giving yourself more ammo at high level guys. But, you know, Watson, for instance, or, or you know, uh, we talked about Javante Williams, those two guys in particular, both breakout kind of candidates. How do you go about trying to make sure you're in a situation to, to get those particular players? Yeah. So for me, there's the simplest way to find players who are going to break out is find the players who are in the worst current situation. So whether mm -hmm. that's due to an injury, a suspension, whether they're a backup somewhere, if they just got a bad quarterback or, mm -hmm. or if they're a wide receiver that has a bad quarterback, if they're running back with a bad offensive line or who's not being used properly, there are tons of different players who are in bad situations for one reason or another. Those are the players I typically find myself targeting. And there's more and more of those players as the season goes along. So one thing is, this isn't just a startup thing, right? You got to stay vigilant. When mm -hmm. we hit August and September, every other week a running back's going to tear his ACL. And you need to be the person acquiring that running back. Yeah. Um, well, and so the value bounces back instantly, right? Like instantly. you and I, we talked about last year when you were doing a year one punt, you're in those situations where, you know, I was trading – for Brees Hall everywhere. I was trading yeah. for Javante Williams everywhere because they're going to bounce back. Brees Hall's value really didn't drop that far. Javante Williams has you know, moved into that fifth round, but he's going to yeah. bounce back. You're buying all of these guys, these injury guys, even Kyler Murray, you're buying injury players yeah. at their floor, Same which is the easiest investment possible. Yeah, same with Cam Akers and J.K. Dobbins. Yeah. There's just so many different examples of it where people hit their floor essentially usually a week or so after they get injured. And that, by the way, is another reason why I mentioned that draft earlier where I took Christian McCaffrey, right? Let's say later in the draft you're hitting round six and Josh Jacobs is still there. Even if you're doing a year one punt, that's fine. Because if we're in the middle of the season and let's say Jonathan Taylor tears his ACL, and you are year one punting with Josh Jacobs, you could probably just flip those straight up, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's okay to have an asset or two that's a veteran team that's going to appeal to a veteran team. Mm -hmm. Make sure that it's at the right position and make sure you're not screwing up your potential points and your next year first round pick. But mm -hmm. there are ways to do it where you can have players on your team that are valuable to others um, and it'll still and be you okay. Wanna you want to move off those players as early as possible. So like 100%. that first injury, you know, you, you draft – James Conner in the 11th instead of Rashi Rice. Okay, it's a solid yeah. pick. I got no problem with that. But you have to understand that if you're trying to get max points for and Nick Chubb goes down, then you instantly attack the Nick Chubb owner and yeah. try to make a, make a move there. Or, you know, even better, a wide receiver goes down and you, you make your move that way. Everyone talks to me about when we talk about potential points, and I'm glad you brought that up because it's yeah. like, Oh, well, you know what? I'm in the ninth round. I would much rather, or that's a bad example. I'm in like the 14th round. I'd much rather have this player than that player because he's going to score me points. It doesn't matter in your draft. You're drafting for value. You and I do that all the time. Like, you know, if the right guy falls, you're drafting the value. You're not necessarily just drafting that player to keep him on your team forever. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and it's, it's, 
as long as you trade a lot and as long as you're diligent about it and you're organized about it, you'll be able to get your potential points low. I mean, drafting a guy like James Conner over, let's say, Kendra Miller when you're punting, that's a dumb decision. But drafting Mm -hmm. James Conner over Chase Brown, that's a great decision because he just has more value. And by the time we hit September 5th, you're going to be able to make that swap plus, right? Now, I got to talk about one other one because, hey, one, it's happening to me. Two, yeah. I think it's happening to a lot of people is we talk about this, this super flex aspect, right? Mm-hmm. We know rounds – there's 14 guys go in the first – maybe 15 after Tua and Stroud go in the first three rounds. Then nothing happens, right? Like maybe Daniel Jones goes in the fourth, but then you don't have anybody go in the fifth, and then you start to get some of these guys in the sixth. A trend that I'm seeing is then it starts a run that everybody starts to get excited, right? Yeah. Like someone took Jordan Love over, over over George Kittle. You know, like people are taking – you get into an area where someone decides that they need Jared Goff instead of J.K. Dobbins or they need uh, Geno Smith instead of Dalton Kincaid. So talk to me about that position. Again, if you guys didn't listen to our startup strategy, like we are highly advocating getting two quarterbacks early. But if in my situation, I'm punting, Right. Should I even draft that QB2? Should I let that be that positional void because of Caleb Williams coming in? Yeah, so I will say that QB2 is the worst place to have a positional void if you're trying to punt. And that's only because, sorry, if you're in a two QB league, absolutely do it. But if you're in a super flex league, odds are you're going to have a receiver, you know, Donovan Peoples-Jones gets five catches for Mm -hmm. 80 yards and a touchdown one week. And now he slots in as your QB2. So it's a little bit harder to punt there. Not that you can't do it, but if you have one quarterback, you'll probably have someone in your flex fill in the the super flex spot and you're not going to get a ton of value for punting it. To me, the easiest positions to punt are tight end and running back. Tight end, you have to absolutely have none of them because even if one guy gets one catch for one yard and a point, Darren Fell style, that's still Mm -hmm. an okay week at tight end. Um, Running back is obviously super easy to do it. We've talked about how they lose value, but I I'm okay not taking a QB two because I think the values and startups are typically off. And if we look at that tier of QBs, so I, I just put out my QB strategy guide. And basically if we look at the round six to eight range, which is when everyone's getting their two QBs. So mm-hmm. after the top eight rounds, 25 QBs have gone. Um, and what we have is we have the young guys, we've Kenny Pickett, Trey Lance and Jordan love. We have the old guys, Jared Goff, Kirk cousins, Geno Smith, Russell Wilson, Derek Carr, and Aaron Rodgers. There Mm -hmm. are different opinions on who you should take within that specific group. But I think the ultimately best decision is if you're punting, don't take any of them because there's almost no chance that they increase in value. And even if they do, you have to pick the exact perfect time to sell because look at like Matthew Stafford, for instance. Mm -hmm. But realistically, a guy like Derek Carr is not going to increase in value. Even if Kirk Cousins goes to San Francisco, he probably won't. So I'm probably only taking... Kenny Pickett, Trey Lance, or Jordan Love there. Personally, I don't like the the values on Pickett, so I'll probably just take Trey Lance every time, but I'm okay completely punting QB2. Maybe I get a Will Levis for later on, but mm-hmm. the idea is just to accrue value over year one to almost be positional positionally agnostic, and you can just trade for one next year, right? Like mm-hmm. There's going to be a team who thought they were competing with Derek Carr as their QB2. Next offseason, they'll sell him for an early second rounder. I guarantee it, right? It's it's not that hard once you once you get to next year and actually want to compete. But I think there's a big difference between going after Jared Goff in the sixth where you're giving up Traylon Burks or going after 
you know, Derek Carr in the eighth where you're yeah. giving up Zach Charbonnet or Cam Akers. You know, like I think those are some areas. The guys that people keep asking me are those guys in rounds 10, 11, the Sam Howes, the Desmond Ritters, even Matthew Stafford goes in that area where it's like, are these guys Brock Purdy, Mac Jones? You know, like they're the guys that no one wants on their team necessarily, but at costs, I mean, it, you're almost looking at everyone after Kirk Cousins and, and Kenny Pickett as like guys that, you know, we don't know what kind of window we're talking. You know, we're talking about yeah. is there going to be longevity for Matthew Stafford with injuries, longevity for Ritter and Howe with unknown situations, Will Levis, same thing, Aaron Rodgers because of his, you know, because of his age. Like that's why a lot of people really gravitate towards Derek Carr, you know, even Geno Smith in that area. Yeah, and I mean, again, just don't be picky about it, right? Like Jared Goff and Geno Smith and Kirk Cousins, like I have my preferences. Like I prefer Kirk Cousins. I prefer Geno Smith of that group. But ultimately, if I'm taking Russell Wilson at the end of the seventh, I prefer that to Kirk Cousins at the beginning of the sixth. So that's another great spot you can move down. One thing that I want to touch on is that we've talked about how it's become more difficult to acquire future firsts. I don't think that's the case with seconds. And seconds... Yes. The yes. upside isn't the same, but they're so much easier to get because in a lot of leagues, if you trade a future second, you don't have to pay for that year, which can be a holdup for some people. And people just don't think of it the same way. So you can move down from the late sixth to the late seventh and get a second rounder thrown in there. And you're getting a player in the exact same tier. You might get the same player you were targeting. There's not a big difference between George Pickens and Zay Flowers or between Terry McLaurin and Marquise Brown or you know, Jared Goff and Geno Smith and all of these guys are going around apart. So you can move down, get a second. And again, if you look back at your draft afterwards and say, would I trade this player plus a second for that player? 11 out of 12 guys in your league would say no, but you were able to do it when it was just a trade slot and not a player. Yeah. And that, there's one guy in our league that has four 24 seconds in it. That yeah. is just equity that you can move later. You know, we talk about it a lot where you can make moves where you do like a you know, you give Christian Watson in, or you, you give up a certain player, and then like right now, Devontae Adams in a, you know, 24 first for Christian Watson in a 24 second. You know, you make some of those kind of moves for the right yeah. kind of deals. And I, I've been noticing a lot where everyone just wants to hype up where their their first is going to be, but nobody really pays attention to the second. So like you go out there and get those seconds. 25 seconds are even cheaper. You know, like I think people are even on to the 25 first where they're they're easier to get, but they're not than the 24 first, but they're still they're starting to understand the value of a first. And that just speaks to podcasts like yours, podcasts like ours, like people just generally as a, as an entire community, just getting sharper and understanding, you know, like when we, when we did this 15 years ago, you know, you were just listening to one guy on ESPN. Yeah. Now it's like, you're getting a ton of, a ton of views. Um, I know we could talk about this for hours, but I wanted to give you an opportunity here to kind of talk about this draft strategy, talk about, you know, the, the draft guide that you're working on uh, on your Patreon. And as always, I mean, I love chopping it up with you, like our listeners. And I know your listeners as well. Like when we put together, it, it always comes out smooth. It's just what we're trying to put out. Yeah, man, for sure. One other thing I do want to say about the strategy is that if you happen to have a pick in the top four, especially, it is just an absolute home run if you're trying to implement this strategy you're able to do unbelievable trades cascading down i'm talking about you can trade that top four pick get a second a fourth and a 24 first and your team from day one just has absurd value it's why if you're in a draft where you get to pick your slot 
uh, commonly referred to as a derby draft, just pick as early as possible, especially if it's in the top four. You know, when it comes to, uh, you know, seven versus 10, maybe you prefer 10, but if it, if you can get the top four, definitely do it. Um, I go into detail about which derby spots I prefer in my startup guide, as well as a full trade value chart for startup drafts, which I think helps a lot. I've been doing detailed positional guides, which quite frankly, have gotten a little bit out of hand. I think my running back guide was about 22 pages long, but it breaks down literally every single tier, every player, what you should be targeting different builds you could pursue. To me, I think it's just the most comprehensive way you can address a startup, whether you're going the year one punt or the all-in strategy. So check out my Patreon if you're interested in that. Uh, check out the Dynasty Zoltan podcast. I had Dwayne McFarland on. Um, that podcast came out this morning. We talked about some interesting situations like the uh, San Francisco wideouts and the Philadelphia running backs. So make sure to check that out as well if you're interested. Yeah, thanks again for tuning in, guys, and enjoy the process.